Advancing innovative research, academic excellence, and family-centered care to transform outcomes for children around the world. Children's Mercy Kansas City presents the audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. Today's topic is getting used to it, how children and teens and their parents cope with cancer. My guest today is Dr. Kristen Stegenga. She's a nurse scientist with a special interest in supportive care research with adolescents and children with cancer and, of course, um, helping their families as well. Dr. Stegenga, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So um, I noticed uh, that in in your bio um, that I received from Children's Mercy, you had mentioned that what you want to focus on is is helping children with cancer be in the healthiest place that they can be in to take full advantage of the treatment and the cure. How did that come about for you? Well, I like to focus on um, strengths, actually. You know, I think that we focus a lot of times on on the illness of the child and the family, but really they bring a lot of strength to the table. And and our focus is on their cure, so I want to make sure that that when we are done hopefully curing them, the overall child, uh, cure rate for childhood cancer is 80%. That's not good enough yet, but it's, that's, you know, pretty good um, no, no, yeah, that, right. that we, um, you know, have them in the healthiest place when we're done. And that includes making sure that they're healthy psychosocially as well. Yeah, so, okay, so let's talk then a little bit about how children you know, uh, cope with cancer. I mean, it's tough for adults, right? So right. what does a child go through when they, when they receive that diagnosis? Well, initially, you know, just like any child who comes into the hospital, they're scared. They don't really know what's going on. And for, for younger children, anything that involves a poke is really the worst thing in the whole world. And so certainly all of the things that we do to come to a diagnosis of cancer is pretty scary. So a lot of the things that we do to help them cope um, are really explaining what we're doing, um, getting child life involved, things like that to really help them know what's going on to the greatest extent that they can understand. And then they start to kind of get, you know, sort of into the rhythm of the things that are going on here. Um, and any kind of coping, uh, you know, coping really is looking at the situation, okay, what is going on and deciding what to do about it. And kids do that, too. They, they quickly figure out who their friends are. Um, that's mm-hmm. where, you know, some of the great things that we have here are so helpful. We have, you know, therapy dogs. We've got child life. We've got music therapy. We've got all these things that kind of help them realize that the hospital isn't as horrible a place as when they first got there. Um, and so they start to quickly kind of appraise the situation and realize what things they like and what things they don't. And, and they start to, you know, kind of process what's going on. And one of the most fascinating things that I learned um, through some of my research is how quickly kids actually um, get used to this. So it's, it's interesting how, you know, we think mm. as adults that this has to be absolutely the worst thing that ever happened to them. And it's certainly not a party, but they actually get used to it. And they, they actually probably process better than their parents, right. to be honest. Yeah. Well, let's okay. So you mentioned something like therapy dogs as an example. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of the specific uh, programs uh, and activities that Children's Mercy offers that helps them to cope? Well, so we have um, Hunter and Hope. Hunter is actually our therapy dog that is for um, hematology oncology, and he he does a few other things, but he is predominantly for us, and he 
comes in and he might just, you know, give a little, you know, a little love. You might just come in and let the the kids pet him. It kind of depends on, what, you know, what the child is looking for. Or for some of the kids, um, interestingly, we're, we're noticing we're getting ready to do another uh, study. He seems to be anecdotally um, a really great companion for the um, older school age and young adolescent boys. He just oh, seems to come up yeah. and just hop up on the bed and hang with them. And that can oh. be really helpful for them to, you know, to just have a, have a guy to hang with, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and we have music therapy and we do, um, they, they do lots of different things with kids that are, you know, age appropriate um, interventions. We're actually doing some research that way too. We've got a new study that is looking at helping um, parents and school age kids, three to eight, or actually that's a little bit younger than school age, um, with uh, coping with hospitalization. And, um, and, but then they also do lots of things that aren't research to just, you know, help kids feel like kids. I think it's so important to remember, even in the hospital, even with cancer, that kids are still kids and teenagers are still teenagers. And probably the biggest thing that we can do to help them cope with this diagnosis is to treat them like they are still kids or teenagers, regardless of their um, diagnosis. Right, to the extent right. that we can't. Of course, there are some things we yeah. can't do. Well, I mean, so that, that was going to be my question. I mean, so, you know, even in the environment, right, even in the patient's rooms, are they set up differently? Do you allow them to hang some stuff on the walls? I mean, how far do you actually go with that? Oh, absolutely. They're allowed to hang things on the walls. I mean, to, you know, okay, the, some things are not allowed. There's rules about the paint and <laughs> right. stuff like that. But, but we have ways, you know, that they can secure things so that they don't wreck the paint but still are able to make the room yeah. look like their own. And we really encourage that because it's important for them to feel like that's their room. And when they make art here or things like that, then, you know, we encourage them to display it in the room. And, and that's the other thing about, you know, one of the greatest things about being a pediatric nurse which is my background, is that, you know, that we get to, you know, come in that room and admire that art and sometimes even help with it and things like that. You know, really those things that, um, you know, notice the, the kid in that patient and right, what their right. special things are. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, when you see when you hear of a, a program like yours and, and you um, are doing such a wonderful job helping the the children cope. I mean, we, we always want to do something that's better than what we've done in the past. Right. I mean, that's what we're always striving for, whether it's treatment, coping, whatever it is. So how so what what has happened since, you know, since you have really focused on, you know, putting them in that most most healthiest place, psychosocially, physically, what kind of results have you seen? Um, well, you know, I think that for one thing, even though, of course, you know, I have these grand dreams of, of everything just being better and better, they are incremental steps. So one of the things that we studied a few years ago was um, helping adolescents while they're in transplant, and they g- could make a music video with a music therapist. And that research definitely yielded um, information that said that that was helpful, that that gave them a way to focus on something other than their transplant and um, gave them a way, as it turned out, to make some meaning um, of their transplant. They were actually given that um, music video mostly because actually it was something that, you know, teenagers are into. Um, But what happened was we found out that most of them really did focus on thinking about their life and the people who were important to them and stuff. And so then that research led to uh, research that parents, you know, the parents in that study told us, that's great, but now they're opening up these conversations with us 
that we're not totally ready to have. So that led to another study that actually is just in analysis now. But what, you know, how do we have those conversations? So then we worked with, in the next study, more adolescents and their parents, but we worked with the parents then too. How do we have these conversations with our kids that can sometimes be tough because some of them don't make it? And we have these, you know, these videos that are so awesome. Um, but but now we're talking about really big things with our teenagers. Yeah. And we want to talk to our teenagers, but let's face it, you know, it's hard to, for parents and teenagers to talk right, sometimes. Yeah. So that was the next step. So all of these things are these incremental steps to making um, life better. So I know that I can speak for myself for sure, and I think everyone else who's trying to do this kind of work, in that we definitely... Um, have job security, continuing to try to make things better. Um, you know, every every step we take is an incremental step in making life better. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the parents there, and, and so that's obviously an important part of this conversation as well. We know that, um, and obviously this is a huge topic when we talk about um, the coping of parents, kids, and teens, but... but Really, they all kind of fit together, right? I mean, you at the same time when you're helping the the teenager or even the child cope, you must be doing something to help the parents as well. So, are there programs um, for that are just geared towards the parent who's going to have to deal with some of these tough questions? For instance, um, absolutely, and and all of this is definitely a team effort. So, as far as research goes, we're just working on some of those things. But, but in all of our daily, you know, work here at the hospital, we've got a wonderful social work staff, too, who's always working with them. And I think that it's important for all of us to remember um, that, you know, that they are all interlinked. And, and the fascinating thing, you know, when you think about it, it's such an obvious statement, but um, everybody copes differently. Um, <laughs> we just finished a study that was actually looking at educating parents of new, newly diagnosed kids. And um, and we really discovered that even within a you know a, a parent dyad, one parent would want a whole lot of information about everything, and the other parent was like, you know what? Don't tell me. Don't tell me anything. I don't have to know. I just want to know the basics. And so it just speaks to you know there's a lot of buzz about personalized medicine right now, and I think that right. personalized medicine also encompasses what does a family need to know. And, and how does that family cope? And how does each person in that family cope? Because, you know, giving a one-size-fits-all care doesn't work. Um, right, one right, parent right. might want to know absolutely every single thing, and they're going to be the one that's going to be looking on the Internet, and you're going to be helping them recognize what's a good source for information. And the next parent is going to be like, tell me only what I must know to take care of my child, because all of that information yeah. is very scary. And then the child, um, you know, a lot of times we'll have kids who want to know stuff that maybe their parents don't want to know, and we have to negotiate that. So there's the research aspect, figuring out best ways to do things. And then there's the day-to-day care that we all, you know, try to work as a team to give. And it's, it's, such, a, it's such a big deal to really yeah. do right by these families, but also recognize that they are all individuals. And sometimes, you know, we have one, like maybe maybe it's the parent who really thinks that things are very hard for their child. And then when you talk to the, the child, they're, they're really actually fine. It's really that it's so hard for the parent to accept that this is going on for their child. It's, it, you know, it's yeah. really a, it's really a, um, a big deal. Yeah. 
Well, and that's interesting. So I, I, one last question then. So when I, you know, I look at the title of this, it's getting used to it, right? Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? Like as somebody who is really leading the way in helping parents, the families, the, the children cope, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to Children's Mercy when we say getting used to it? You know what? It's, it's fascinating. I am still learning what that means as a researcher and as a nurse. The kids are helping me understand that little by little through my research. When I did my first research study with kids with cancer, the teenagers, every single one in my study used that exact phrase. They said, Mm, well, you get used to it. And I said, how do you do that? And they all said, you just do. Little by little, you just get used to this, having cancer. And then I looked to the literature, and a friend of mine at a different hospital had done work with younger children, and they were all talking about getting used to it, too. So the children and the teens are leading us along, helping us, um, because it's such an innate process to them of just coping through this and figuring it all out. They have a hard time explaining it to us, but they just do it. So, so that's interesting too. So the the end the end game for a lot of the patients is just getting used to it, but how they get to that point can be very individualized. They can go on different journeys. Some may want lots of information. Some may want you know more um, uh, social connection with. I mean, there's so many ways to get to that point, right? So you're allowing Absolutely. them to get used to it using multiple ways, right? Exactly. Their, their end point is that they essentially adapt to their cancer, but we yeah. have to help them find which path is theirs. But in their wow, minds, it is... happens so seamlessly with the support they receive from their families and from us that they can't actually verbalize the process, but they yeah, absolutely, yeah. you know, that's their end point. Yeah. Dr. Stegengo, what great work that, that you're doing and, um, you know, the best of luck to you and all the research and, and, and continuing on this journey that you're on along with the patients and their families. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics of Children's Mercy, Kansas City. For more information, you can go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.